0: Welcome to the podcast today, Dr. Petra Hanger. She is a lecturer at UCL and a co-founder of Quest Meat. Uh, in her work at Quest Meat, she is focused on creating the building blocks for commercialising cultivated meat, which includes the creating the edible scaffolds, the uh, optimal growth media, and collecting the right cells for cultivation. All that and more is discussed here in this podcast. I'm Alex Crisp and welcome to The Future of Foods. So, um, yes, we did meet, uh, we met first time at at the meetup in London about, was that two months ago now? And you gave uh, you gave a presentation um, on the growth media, the um, animal free growth media, which um, I suppose there's been quite a lot of change since then, hasn't there in the um, in the in the world of growth media? I just saw uh, I saw Omeet, um, their their new uh, plasma based growth media called Plenty.
1: Oh, okay. I wasn't aware of that one.
0: Oh, have you not seen that? So it's no. um, Yeah, that was just uh, that 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 was just a couple of days ago. So um.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, you made me curious. Now I'm going to Google it yeah, should, <laughs> so that I can
0: learn <laughs> learn more about their media. Have you heard? Have you heard of meats
1: Um, actually, not really either. So they're a bit. They, they might be newer.
0: Well, they've been quiet apparently. You know, yeah. it, it says in their yeah, article... There's a that,
1: lot of companies like that. They just go in stealth mode. That's right. Um, and then they only launch, yeah, almost like unexpectedly. Yeah. Oh, okay, So they're Los Angeles-based.
0: Yeah. So they might be at the conference that you're going to, perhaps.
1: Uh, um, potentially. I mean, especially if they're based in US, for sure. Because <laughs> yeah. the Good Food Conference is, is, is very big. I mean, I've been... Um, I've been to the Good Food Conference in 2019, and back then I think there were about 700 or or 800 um, attendees, which was crazy, but apparently since then it's got even bigger, so now they're expecting, yeah, over a thousand people attending this conference, and I think what was really great about the Good Food Conference is that it's not, so it's not scientific, is not it's it's a bit of everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's open to the general public as well that is interested in learning more about you know alternative proteins and um, this this field. So it's not just for the scientists or academia or industry. It's for everyone. And there's um, there's loads of investors, well potential investors there. There's media loads of people from media there's uh yeah academics but even normal people because i remember i was talking to um a group of ladies and they had no scientific background whatsoever but they were interested in in nutrition and they were interested in um you know in learning more about um foods in general and learning more about alternative proteins and plant-based foods and so on so i i thought that was very um very different to the type of conferences that I would normally attend, like an academic. Um, but I actually found it quite informative. Okay,
0: yeah. So how many days is it over then? Is it a uh, uh, week? It's three
1: days. Yeah, three yeah. days. I think, uh, if I remember, starts 18th of September, yeah. 19th and 20th, uh, but then 18th um, is only in the evening. I think there's like an opening um, social event, and then the actual conference with all the panels and talks is nineteenth and twentieth of September.
0: So you will be giving a presentation there. Um, as well, William.
1: So, well, I'm I'm actually on a panel, so I'm gonna sit on um, one of the sessions on a panel. Um, so I'm not doing a p- a presentation per se, but I'll be um, on on a panel with other other people, other specialists. So the panel is all about. Um, how do you go from bench top to um, to a business? So how do you translate research to um, something commercial or um, something with uh, with impact? Um, so yeah, so they they kind of want to learn about my experience as an academic and how um, I managed to um, fund uh, to found Quest. Um, so what was kind of my journey into getting into that and then try and identify what are the current needs to get this, you know, to to get this to happen more often because it's not it's not um let's just say it's not uh something that academics are very good at. No,
0: it's <laughs> so, not what you're supposed yeah. to be doing, I suppose, is it? So, yeah i mean it's like-
1: a, it's a different kind of language that's what i'm finding it right so academia is so different from a commercial setting or a business setting um it's 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 almost it, it, there are different challenges but i think it's it's all about being able to see the potential of the research that you're doing and how you can translate that and i i mean i do recognize that perhaps, I don't know how it is in other parts of the world, some universities are better at this than others, Um, but um, yeah, the majority of universities, perhaps they're not really doing enough to train their academics into learning these aspects of of, um, how you can translate that research to a commercial setting. So, I, I mean, you don't even need very specialized training, but you need to understand ip you need to kind of recognize potential um yeah so i mean yeah. i know i was terrified <laughs> to and, be so, honest.
0: and so the company that you've started up called quest that is uh with a, with a couple of other academics is it or
1: yeah so yeah. it's um um i mean And I guess this is the reason why I I, uh, launched myself into this um, entrepreneurial opportunity, because I had the confidence of going into it. So when we we funded Quest, um, I was I was in talks of actually spinning out from the university. Um, So myself and um, Ivan Wall who was a professor um, at the university at the time, and now he's the CEO and one of the co-founders of Quest QuestMeet. Um, so we we were talking about spinning out, um, uh, but it, the discussions just took forever. So then we had another opportunity where we were approached for, by um, two people that had the experience in setting up a business um and they they also had the experience of running a business so one of them was a co-founder and the other one was um used to be the chief executive officer the ceo of that company so when when that happens um that in a way to me gave me confidence that you know we we are not going to lack these very critical skills in funding a business because we have them and then they have us on the science um, aspects and on on driving the science. Um, so yeah, that was the only reason I, I literally, uh, you know, I did this. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been comfortable in in funding a my own startup. You know, I mean, it it was a very scary thought because I I am, um, you know, I, I come from a pure academic background, so we don't do that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, a big, very it's a big step to make. So, um, oh, yeah, and sure. so you're working. You, you, you are a doctor um, at the university, um, uh, and you started up QuestMeet. When did you start that up? Just a few years ago, right? It's quite new. Yeah.
1: So at the end of this month, on thirty first, is going to be two years.
0: <laughs> okay. And what yeah. do you do there at QuestMeet? Can you just sort of give us a little? Um, yeah,
1: sure. So yeah. I, I am. Um, well, one of the co-founders, but I also played the role of chief scientific officer. Um, so I I drive the science um behind what we do at Quest. Um and I guess my job as in probably as in any startup or small business, um, uh, my job doesn't just focus on the science, it focuses on everything. <laughs> So there's an element of of, uh, uh, managing the people in the lab, there's an element of actually going and being hands-on in the lab doing experiments and you know making decisions on different different things. There's an element of operations, so thinking about what we need, setting up licenses if we need for the different aspects um, of research that we're doing or um, I don't know, uh, health and safety, all of that. So I, I'm kind of doing every, you know, everything that's really needed. And then on top of that, uh meeting with investors, with our CEO, with Ivan, um presenting at conferences, you know, or or events and and kind of um explaining what we do at Quest, talking to other businesses for collaboration. So it's it's pretty much a little bit of everything. But the science is is the major bit that I'm um, yeah, I'm responsible. I'm driving.
0: Yeah, and that science is uh, is around uh, animal cells and um, growth media. Is that, uh, is that yes,
1: running? and yeah. more. <laughs> and more. So basically, yeah. So basically, Quest um, is a B2B. So it's a business to um, business, has a business to business type model. Um, and our mission is to support the cultivated meat industry by providing ingredients that could help make the cultivated meat products affordable and sustainable, because obviously that's the only way that you can reap all the benefits of of, uh, these novel foods. Um, And we do need to think about long term, um, of course. Um, So, yeah. So what we do specifically at Quest is that we work with food grade ingredients um, and we've identified One in particular, which is very versatile in the sense that through different ways of processing it, you can make different products out of it. So one product is the media formulations that you you mentioned. So that's serum-based media, uh, a serum-free media, sorry, serum-free media. So we're trying to replace serum through our ingredients. Another product is microcarrier replacement. So to grow cells, um, usually you would have to have them attached to something. So we call that an attachment substrate. Um, and um, a lot of the techniques that are used in the production of cultivated meat come from uh, tissue engineering and cell therapy. So uh, what you would do, what you would use as an attachment substrate is these micrometer so very very tiny particles like think of it like um grains of sand they they literally have that same texture so those are generally made of polystyrene which is plastic right okay um and you grow the cells on them in these fermenters in these big um like bioreactors so you know like the the beer um kind of brewing vessels it's similar to that so okay. you would grow your cells attached on those but actually those are p- made of plastic which means that there's a chance that you can uh, some of those things can escape into your product okay. so obviously there's a safety risk no one wants to eat plastic right even would are probably doing to, anyway but
0: yes i suppose it <laughs> without would be more to remove that once the cells have, have yeah so there's oh, there's
1: additional yeah. steps Is not impossible but actually all those additional steps um they They contribute to that final cost of manufacturing of these mm. products. um and, and, as I said, some of them will slip through, so they okay. will be present in the final product. So obviously, those type of microcarriers, those type of attachment substrates, they're not really fit for purpose, yeah, mm. not not for this application, not for foods. Okay. So what we do at Quest is that we can process this ingredient into. Um, something that we call a microcarrier replacement that basically acts the same way, right? Um, but it's food grade, and actually it can contribute to the taste, uh, well, not the taste, to so the texture of the product at the end. So you don't even need to remove the cells from these. You can just leave the cells in and make it a part of your product, of your final product, Um yeah. yeah. So that's one of the other products that we have, and we're also looking at processing this ingredient into something else, something like um, a coating. So when you do when you culture cells in small scale, uh, so not in these fermenters, um, on you know on the bench scale, let's call it that way. you you have to use these tiny flasks, but for some cell types, like the muscle derived cells, you need to use the protein coating, but that tends to be pretty expensive. And again, it it comes from animals, right? So ideally you want to minimize the use of those animal derived products. So this ingredient that we have, we can process it to form something similar um, and use it like a coating. But it's not animal derived. Yeah. It mm-hmm. still has the proteins and it will still help the cells attach, um, but it's without the detrimental effects of animal. Yeah.
0: Okay. And so that's a coating that goes over the cells. Did, did you No, say-
1: So the coating goes over the flask and then the uh-huh. cells go on top. Yeah.
0: Oh, I see. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because it, okay. it, it basically what it does is like think of it like this, this cushion. So it helps the cells attach and stick to it. <laughs>
0: right. Okay. okay. Yeah. So stick it's to the lot. vessel. And so you have uh four main products then. You the, yeah, categories
1: yeah. of products. Yeah.
0: Categories. And you are and part of your your agenda, I suppose, is to is to remove animal uh products entirely from the process. Is that is that is yeah. that one? yeah, or so
1: that's ideally more? that's that's what we're aiming for. Um because we are thinking of sustainability Mm. in the long term and you know animal derived products they come with a series of question marks when it comes to sustainability because of obvious reasons Um, so yeah so what we are trying to do is replace all of those components but our aim is also to make them lower cost than what currently exists right so Mm. if you think when you're producing cultured meat if you're putting something expensive at the start of your manufacturing, of course, you're not going to get something cheap at the end, right? No. Yes. <laughs> so, you have to have something that's lower cost at the start so that you can get that low cost that mm. we need with these. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to make a, a, a food, we're not trying to make a it's cell not, therapy.
0: It's the not, cost, doesn't matter like in cell no. therapies
1: because it's, you know, it's life. But yes. for foods, it matters.
0: Yes, I remember in the the presentation you gave, you you were talking about um, the growth media kind of costing was it eleven thousand a liter or up to eleven thousand a liter? Was that was that rice? Right? Yeah. I can't remember exactly what was it, but it was um, you know you were saying how expensive it is to use the kind of bovine serum the calf. Yeah, uh, yeah. So
1: the bovine. Serum. Yeah. The bovine serum is, um, I mean, the prices have skyrocketed in these past couple of years. Um, I think it's in a way it was perhaps expected, um, Mm. you know, with all the issues now and with all the discussions. And I think even in terms of regulations surrounding fetal bovine serum, those has tightened up quite a bit. Mm. Um, So obviously, yeah, that will have an impact on the cost. Um by you know, in the long term, I don't think it's sustainable. Uh, one because of the cost, and you know, second because mm. it comes from from fetuses, right? From bovine fetuses. So those, yes. yeah, there's those ethical issues around. It's not that. a
0: good way of selling the product, is it? Because yeah. it's 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 kind of... it's
1: very effective though, very effective. And and currently, yeah. you know, because there aren't really I mean, there are companies that are working in the cultivated meat space that are working on developing serum-free media formulations. Um, across, there are others as well, but currently, there's nothing really on the market yet that's commercially available that performs really well. Mm. Um, so yeah, so it's it's still this. I mean, we still need to use fetal bovine serum at this stage for any sort of research that you do until something becomes available or until, you know, us as Quest come up with a formulation that we think is really good and that is ready for commercialization.
0: And are you able to talk about your products? Um, You know, I know that there's quite a lot of secrecy in in these um, closed door experiment lab stuff. So, you know, you mentioned that the presentation uh, mung beans, algae, and and um, uh, and worms. Yeah. So yeah. These- so
1: I, actually, that's that's uh, something that um, we do at UCL at the university.
0: Right. <laughs> so not a quest. Oh, <laughs> um, I see. Okay. Yeah. So
1: that's that was one of the projects um, that we we have at UCL. It's a PhD project actually that's looking at. Um, different components that again are sustainable. So those were some of the categories of, you know, food grade powders that we mm. came up with that we thought might be good candidates to test to mm. see if it works. Um, yeah, and, and particularly um, fababine, which is, um, it, it's something that could sustainably be produced in the UK. So the focus was specifically on the UK, what could we do with, you know, with the with the type of plants that we have accessible to us in the UK? What could we use to try and see if any of this could work? Um, yeah, so it was it was actually a very interesting experiment that my students did um, to try and look at this. Um, and they they got some really interesting results. It wasn't quite, well, it it still needs more work, obviously. Okay. <laughs> So it wasn't quite comparable to serum-based media. It wasn't anywhere near as good as serum-based media, but it wasn't killing the cells either. So that's a first step in in looking at something that you can still maintain the cells without killing them for, I don't know, a a short period of time. Um, So yeah, so that's that's something that... um, my student has taken forward and is now is trying to figure out other ways of of processing those type of powders to see if we can make better make it better
0: right okay so and so your work at quest are you close to uh having a product that is comparable to the serum um y-
1: yes so i would say um potentially next year in what is a second yeah second quadrant i think we will have something um that would be commercially available so we have a formulation that we found that works really well now it's all about making sure that we can test it with the different cell types and making sure that in long term it also works because i think sometimes this is the trouble you can get it to work for a short period of time. But then actually, if you do a prolonged culture, you find out that the cells get modified. So um, yeah, so this is what we're working on now. And then obviously doing all the testing, thinking about the commercialization aspects of it. Um, But I think second year, next year in the second quadrant, we will have something ready for commercialization, which we're super excited about.
0: OK, yeah, because there's so many companies around uh, around the world now who who um who are, like you said earlier, in stealth mode and, until they mm-hmm. until they sort of feel like they've hit the jackpots. Uh, so we've you we have we've got Meat that I mentioned to you earlier and then um, company ReMeet, they said that they've also oh, yeah, a, a formula. And what do you know about their formula? Do you you know is is this something? No, is it is it? Yeah, (laughs) nope. Nobody knows. No one
1: really knows anything about. I think the only um, the only media formulations that are public, they they come from Mozambique Mozambique. um, as they patented them. So there are patents available, and they've also published. Yes, but everything else is no one knows anything about anything. Thing, really. Okay.
0: okay. Yeah. And Which you, is yeah.
1: understandable because you know, being such a new industry, IP is so important. Um, and there are still debates on to how is best to protect your internal IP, right?
0: Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. And um so in your fourth product uh is are are the animal cells themselves. Um, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? How do you get the cells and uh, and where are they taken from?
1: Um, yeah, sure. So um, another product of Quest, which is what we are currently commercializing actually. Mm-hmm. So these are on the market and we've already sold to several clients, um, both in the UK and internationally um, are the cell lines. And we currently have bovine um, cell lines So anyone that's interested in doing cultured beef or um, even any other type of research on bovine cells, um, they can access our cells. Um, So these are um, cells that are derived from muscle, but we have two two types of cells. Um, So the way we we chose the types are particularly relevant to the cultivated meat space, right? Because if you think about meat, um, it's a it's a mixture of muscle cells, but also fat cells, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so what we chose were cells that come directly from tissue that have the ability to form muscle and to form fat. Okay. So we have bovine myosatellite cells. These are the, the muscle-forming uh, cells. And we also have bovine adipose-derived stem cells, that can form the fat um, that you would need for cultivated meat. Okay. Um, so yeah, we we have cells from bovine, uh, from cattle, but we also have different breeds of cattle. Mm. So um, we have Aberdeen Angus from several donors. <laughs> it feels odd to call them donors, but it's you know that's that's what they are from different animals.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course the animals are not uh harmed right when when uh
1: no so actually the animals are already committed to the food chain okay they go through slaughter yeah
0: okay Okay. um
1: yeah so the tissues that we get actually come from a slaughterhouse Mm. um we we have a connection with them but okay. those animals are already committed okay uh, it's i think it's it's quite difficult to i don't know how it is in other places in other countries but it's quite difficult to um get tissues or biopsies from live animals you mm-hmm. need a lot of um approvals a lot of licenses and you need to work with a v- uh, veter- veterinarian
0: <laughs> yes
1: yeah um otherwise so you can't it's not as simple as you go get the animal you see an animal on you know on um uh somewhere and then you just go and take the biopsy it's not quite like that it's it's a lot more complicated um but i think in the long term ideally you wouldn't want to slaughter the animal right because that's the whole point but for now um yeah it's what we kind of have to work with
0: um i don't know whether you ever saw but you, you know uh the company i think it was upside food or good meats i can't remember which one but they showed a video and they and they discussed how they had taken their cells for chicken from uh, a feather that had fallen from the chicken uh you know just in the course of its life and then they could grow the chicken from the cells taken from the feather, and then eat the chicken while eat the chicken meat while the chicken was kind of you know walking around happily afterwards. Um, yeah, that... I don't
1: really believe that.
0: <laughs> oh, you don't believe that really? Nope. No. Oh, okay, that's yeah.
1: No, I mean a feather is a feather. I so the cells have almost like a memory of of the place where they come from. Um, So, I mean, just to kind of give you an an idea with the bovine cells, right? Because you would think, well, yeah, Aberdeen Angus or whatever, British Blue, what difference does it make? There's the same cell type, right? Mm. The same muscle forming cells. uh, What could be different? But you can't be more wrong because actually every single one of these cattle um, breeds, they look different, right, in real yeah. life. If you put an Aberdeen Angus and a British Blue next to it, yeah. you can see very obvious differences.
0: Some yeah, well, one has muscular a lot more muscular than I others. Suppose, right? um,
1: yes. yeah. yeah. So actually, what we found at Quest, and this is what we're, we're now currently working on getting a publication out, because we think this is going to be very beneficial for the industry to have this knowledge. Um, we found that the cells from the more muscular breeds are actually a lot better than the ones from other breeds that don't have the same characteristics. I right? imagine so. Arnold
0: Schwarzenegger would, would agree with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he had to work for it, right? I mean,
0: <laughs> humans
1: really have to work to build their muscle. But actually... Yeah. Um, some breeds some cattle breeds they have been bred genetically and they have genetic treats that actually allows them to naturally produce more muscle right right Uh, and british blue is is kind of the equivalent of belgian blue so i don't know if you've ever seen a picture of that but they're like the hustle you know the the um. yeah of, of cattle right they're huge they're so muscular you know there's a yeah. reason for it because they have this genetic treats to it
0: is that not steroids that they get given it is, is, no. is that in their is that in their cell <laughs> i don't
1: think so no okay. okay no it's just it's it's a genetic modification within the animal that allows them yeah so they've been modified essentially um they've been breeded to be able to produce that that amount of muscle and so um, their cells yeah grow so we have easier. that we have the equivalent of that which is the british blue
0: okay and so their cells grow easier in the um in... they grow
1: faster faster they grow significantly faster and actually they form more muscle as well
0: okay okay so um you know, there's a lot of questions um, that com- that I, I want to ask, but how did you get into this industry in the first place? Um, you know, what drew you to the world of uh, of cellular agriculture?
1: Yeah, um, so I think, I mean, how, just to kind of go back to where I come from. So I, I was an academic at um, Austin University, and um, one of my postdocs at the time, she... She came from a nutritional um, background and she was very, very interested in nutrition. Mm. So she was the one that back in 2018, when all of this was very, very new, she, she introduced me to the concept and she said, well, you know, because her postdoc was coming to an end and she needed a, a you know, a next step. So mm. she said, well, will you support me in putting in an application for a fellowship? um and there's uh there's this uh, grant funding opportunity through a charity that's based in the u s which was the good food institute <laughs> okay yeah um and she said well let's let's put something together, let's put an application in, and it will be about cultured meat, so we've put it, this application in, and we got it we got the funding from the Good Food Institute. Yeah. We were, um, yeah, we were one, well, we were the first in the UK to get funding from the Good Food Institute. And actually that was the first round of funding that they ran and yeah. it was open for, you know, globally. It wasn't just for the US. Um, so yeah, so that's how we started a project in the cultivated meat space. And actually I think the more I, I learned about this concept, the, the more I found it fascinating and, you know, the scientist in me could see all the opportunities for innovation, right? Because yeah. there's so much potential, but then I absolutely loved the fact that it's, it would be about making meat. Yeah. So making something that comes from an animal and you wouldn't, you wouldn't need to slaughter to kill that animal for it. Mm. i I found that absolutely amazing because i I love animals. I yeah. have two cats of my own, and actually believe it or not, when I was young, I had a a pet chicken, and I loved her. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely loved her and uh yeah, and my parents decided to kill her one day, and they made soup and whatever else and I knew i was only i think I was only five years old at the time. And I refused. I absolutely refused to eat that food, and my parents just didn't understand why. You know, maybe yeah, so I think it was it was back. that, and you know, yeah. I I absolutely loved the, the science behind it, the innovation potential for that, and yeah. yeah, and the fact that in the end, in the long term, you're basically doing something that potentially has a very big impact, right? On on animals on the way we do things absolutely you
0: know that's why I mean that's I suppose that's my draw to the industry as well because it seems like it seems like the the only viable solution to uh, a pretty kind of brutal reality that might be coming around the corner if we don't if we don't create this industry then it's just going to be kind of factory farms yeah. With, uh, with kind of horrible lives for, you know, millions of animals. So, so yes, it, it, it does seem like the, the best and only solution. And how, I mean, how long do you think it will be before uh, it, it, it becomes viable, before, like, scale up? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, first of all, before it's possible to create meats without using any animal products, um, perhaps apart from the cell itself. Yeah um, so
1: i mean if you if you think about the um the very recent milestones right for the mm-hmm. industry which are huge yeah. um, and that's the the two approvals in the us yeah. uh, with cultivated chicken products um well i think so upside foods they've um they've made i can't remember where exactly i saw it but in one of the articles they um they said that the their product will initially be um, available in a Michelin star um, restaurant, yeah. which I think in a way is kind of an interesting approach to it. Maybe smart approach because it's it, the kind only, of gives that experience. It's the only and they
0: possible said, way, isn't it? Pardon? I said I suppose it's the only possible way because it's still very expensive to make. So yeah,
1: It is quite expensive, yeah. Um, But they said that they are expecting that within three years, their products will be low cost, well, cheap enough essentially to be available in supermarkets or more of a maybe slightly higher end supermarkets. Yeah, so I know upside, they already have their facilities and they can produce this at scale, but Mm. it's just bringing those costs down. Um, and my understanding is that their FDA approval for commercialization is currently still based on FPS, so on serum uh, mm-hmm. me, uh, used in the media, but actually they're working on their own serum-free media formulation um, to try and replace serum and also to bring those costs down. Because at the end of the day, the media is is the main cost driver for the manufacturing Mm. Uh, And I think because companies like Quest um, and and Multus, which you might be aware of in in London, um, and a lot others in the world are working on media formulations, um, I think there's a very big chance that those costs will come down significantly. Um, So yeah, so fingers crossed, those products come on the market, because I think at the end of the day, that's what will help. Yeah.
0: Okay, and of course they would have to reapply for permission once they kind of change. Anything. Um, my
1: understanding is not. Uh, my understanding is that they don't have to go, uh, go to the whole process again. Mm. But what they can do is is make an amendment okay. to their process, so only certain steps will be reviewed. Yeah.
0: Okay, and yeah. of course uh, we we also we also have we also have Aleph farms applying for oh yeah i saw the, that
1: that's actually a big pain. milestone that was quite unexpected i have to say
0: very unexpected because they've applied in the uk uh israel singapore and uh, switzerland but not in the usa so i i was i which i thought was quite i strange. think in a way
1: i can kind of understand why maybe because you know they're they're waiting a bit more a bit longer to see what happens with their applications here in Europe, mm. and actually going for Switzerland, I think, was quite clever because that will give them access <laughs> to Europe, to the European markets as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think that was a very smart move for sure.
0: But why Let's the UK? Why the UK? Do you think? Have you had Have you had any dealings with with the FDA at all?
1: Are you sure they actually applied oh, yeah, for the UK?
0: Because I don't
1: know. Are you sure they've applied for the UK? So yeah. I know I've read about yeah. Switzerland and Singapore and obviously Israel, but I didn't know. Well, about their
0: announcement UK. that they made, their announcement was the UK and Switzerland. And I contacted them to ask them. Um, oh, did
1: you? OK, I they didn't had... know about UK. So I knew about Switzerland. And yeah. at least that's yeah. what I've seen in one of the posts. Um yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, interesting. So yeah, we'll see what I happens. I guess in a
1: way is because UK doesn't belong to Europe anymore, right? Um, and to be honest, UK is a good market, and I think the the view of consumers in the UK because um, I, I think people are very open, right, to mm-hmm. to um, novel foods or to um, adjust their I don't know their diets um i think people in the uk are probably a bit more conscious about the environment about animals so they are willing to take that extra step you know okay of, okay uh, and it's actually quite interesting as well because i was talking to so my my contact at the slaughterhouse that we worked with and he was saying that throughout the the years he's actually noticed a significant decline in the number of animals that come to them for slaughter, which obviously kind of implies a lower demand for meat in the UK. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it's interesting. I think people are more open now to plant-based diets or at least... You know, flexitarian. Let's call it flexitarian or pescatarian, or yeah.
0: Yes, I think the younger generation certainly are are um, moving away from it. Yeah. Um, You know, there's the stragglers at the top, but yes, I mean, you know, kind of vegetarianism and veganism is 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 normalised now, when Mm -hmm. whereas kind of 20 years ago. Yeah,
1: and actually, even I mean, even if you you know, if you go into supermarkets and you look at the shelves. I mean, a couple of years ago, like maybe three, four years ago, there was one tiny, tiny shelf with maybe corn and another plant-based. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. now it's like it's a whole aisle of you know products.
0: It's a massive but, industry, isn't it? Yeah. And, then, um, and they've and, and uh,
1: they even they they got a lot better as well. Yeah. The Taste. I mean, they taste so much better, so much nicer, don't they? Absolutely. So it's like I like to call them the third generation products right yes, yes. <laughs> usually they always start as being quite oh, oh, yeah i'll try but mm. and then they get better and better and
0: <laughs> yes well i've um i have a an interview with uh the ceo of rebellious foods in, in in a couple of weeks and 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 they have a new chicken product which they say is indistinguishable from the you know from from chicken it's called mac 3 i think oh
1: okay interesting
0: so So we'll see you know they were going to send me a sample but apparently they can't get it to me which is a shame so um it'll be on the market soon um listen it's really been great talking to you petra uh it's been it's good to see you again and chat and uh i hope we can stay in touch oh yeah Um, for sure
1: lovely talking to you alex as well
0: Good, and have a great time in San Francisco.
1: Oh, thank you.